Blog Talk Radio. to YouTube, 
And it's this particular CD is Native Angels by Save, and they do all kinds of other things too. You can also go to Save.org, S-A-V-A-E, and you can get get it there. And good morning again. I'm your host, Reverend Shar McCann. I'd like to welcome listeners to Sacred Sunday. Sacred Sunday has was created to provide an open-minded platform that welcomes the gifted and extraordinary angels in power all over the world and and our and the things that we can't see too. Um, I'm a little bit uh, out of it this morning. I got a little bit of flu again, but I'll be okay. I'm just gonna forge through. Um, I'm a Christian in recovery, and all Bible readings will be out of the Bible Study Bible. And you may use any Bible you wish, of course. And uh, due to having many spiritual experiences and in gratitude for what we've been given here, we've just decided to do a Bible study. And we're actually in Romans chapter 10, which is amazing, because we started with uh, the uh, the first gospel, Matthew, a while ago last year, and uh, we made it all the way up to Romans 10. So it's, it's kind of incredible. If you keep forging on little by little, you, you can also read the Bible. And we are going to start with the gospels and possibly tackle the Old Testament. I'm not sure about that. But let's do our opening prayer uh, now, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And we pray this day, we pray and pray. Christians being persecuted worldwide. Their freedom to worship and lives have been in jeopardy, and some have lost their lives. Those whose lives are taken for distorted and evil reasons, and they have become martyrs. And uh, I was looking for the icon for the 21 martyrs that received the crown in heaven. I, I haven't been able to find it, but I'll put it up as soon as I can. Um, we pray for all those suffering from violence at home and abroad, and we pray for those who are sick in mind and body. And those who are lonely and uncomforted, God, forgive us our sins. We pray for suffering for the domestic violence in our own homes and from violence in the streets and from freedom from addiction of all kinds. You know, please, God, send your Archangel Michael to fight against evil and protect all of us and all your angels to keep a watch over everyone and all the little children. Our prayers also go out to all those who suffer in the world one way or another, including the animals who can't speak for themselves and many animals that are at our mercy. Please, God, pray for their souls and please protect them. We also pray for the wisdom of our president and the rest of our policymakers that they may have many decisions to make. And we are we are also praying for all countries and problems of suffering worldwide. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Amen. We ask Jesus to bless us and help us grow under his care. And everyone and their families are in our prayers. God bless you. Thank you, everyone, for praying with me. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Happy birthday. Everybody has a birthday or anniversary today or a success or got a certificate or graduated. Happy birthday or anniversary to everybody. Uh, God bless you, and I hope you have a very blessed and prosperous year ahead. And... Um, if you have a special prayer request, you can also, you know, write me, snail mail, Shaw McCain, 
PO Box 980, Hermosa Beach, California, 90254. And the phone number here is 619-924-9744. But you can listen to our little half-hour service Sunday mornings. And if you don't have a Bible with you to follow along, uh, you can go to www.biblegateway.com and also www.biblia.com. Now, last week, we were on Chapter 9 in Romans, and I'm going to read the review. And it's, uh, I always uh, go to S-H-M-O-O-P, Shmoop. These are the, uh, actually, they're a group of Harvard students that have studied the Bible, and they've given us a summary, and I love to read their summaries. Uh, some of it's a little funny, but it, all of it's to the point. So, Let's read uh, what happened last time to uh, Epistle to the Romans, Chapter 9, Summary. So, everything is good and happy now, right? Wrong pulse is sad, very, very sad. See, Paul is a Jew who believes in Jesus, but unfortunately, not all Jews are like him. Even though Jesus and his original followers were Jewish and their message was first given to the Jewish people, Christianity is increasingly becoming a Gentile religion and Jews are just not getting the message. Maybe try email next time? This, put Paul, this puts Paul in a real pickle. He thinks everybody needs to believe in Jesus, both Jews and Gentiles. So what's going to happen to all the Jews who don't believe? Let's see. First, the Jewish people are obviously very special to God. He gave them the patriarchs, the law, and his promises. Tons of good things have come from them. But Paul concludes, the ones who haven't accepted Jesus aren't truly God's people then. This means that being born Jewish isn't enough to get in the good with God. So you just can't follow God's law. You have to believe in his promise. Paul goes back to Abraham again. Abraham believed God when he promised that he would have a son. And that son Isaac was the second born, but God liked him better. Way to play favorites, Lord. The same goes for Rebecca, who had twins, Jacob and Esau. Even though Esau was the firstborn, God took a shine into Jacob. So is God allowed to choose sides? Is that all totally unfair? Nope, Paul replies. God can like whoever he wants to. He's God. It's sort of like part of the deal. Uh, still seems kind of unfair just a bit. Hey, Paul says, who are you to question God? He created the world, and he can do what he wants with it. When a potter makes a clay bowl, does the bowl start complaining? Oh, no, why did you make me a cereal bowl? Milk makes me chilly. No, it doesn't. It just shuts up. So if God lets evil people be evil in order to show off his wrath, what's it to you? And maybe God smiles on certain people sometimes. He can totally do that if he wants to. Even the Bible says God loves non-Jews and that not all Jews are going to be saved. We're sure that there's, that we're sure that's in there somewhere. Some Gentiles who weren't trying to do right by God have now ended up believing. And some Jews who are supposed to be doing what God asks have rejected him. Anyway, he says it sucks to them. So it's uh, another, you know, this, these are very, uh, I have uh, many, uh, friends of all faiths, and this is a, you know, this is some harsh uh, wording, but it's coming out of a scripture that I was baptized and born to believe in, which I do, and uh, that's why I follow it. So, um, you know, it's harsh to read. Um, however, 
Um, I have to read it because it's the truth and it's coming straight from the Bible because that's what we do. We read straight from the Bible. And other than that, I have not much commentary. It's um, it's almost like you believe what you want and you talk about what you want. And, and that's the way it is. And I do love all my Jewish friends. And I think that there will be a day that we'll all know everything and, and we'll all know the truth and we won't have a problem with this whole thing, you know, but right now it's not like that. There's wars being waged against Christians, against Jews, of anybody of faith. And uh, it's, it's very strange how fiercely people are fighting right now in the name of religion. Uh, okay, let's see your Bible. So everybody turn to your Bible to Romans chapter 10. And let us begin. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is their salvation. For I, satisfy, for I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge, not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own. They do not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is, is the end of the law of righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes that the man who practices righteousness, which is based on law, shall live by that righteousness. But the, but the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend to heaven, that is, to bring Jesus down, or who will descend into the, the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, in your heart. That is, the word of faith to which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in all your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And for with the heart of a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the Spirit, Spirit Scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever we will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then shall we call on him in whom would they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. However, they did not all... I'm sorry, my glasses are... I can't read very well. Here on 16. However, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing and bearing by the word of Christ. But I say, surely they have never heard, have they? Indeed they have. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, surely Israel, do not know, did they? First Moses says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation, a nation without understanding, while I anger you, will anger you. Will I? Okay, wait, let's do this again. 
I will make you jealous of that which is not a nation. A nation without understanding will I anger you. And Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not see me. I became manifest to those who would not ask for me. But as Israel, he says, all the day long I have stretched out my hand to a disobedient and obstinate people. Israel structure and salvation. So let's go on to the next one. So let's go ahead and read the notes. Okay, so from 10, from 1 to 21, Paul is expressing his deep longing for the salvation of Israel, who tried to substitute law righteousness for faith righteousness. And the, the latter was apparently uh, universally available. And God gave the Jews every opportunity to receive the gospel, but they would not respond in faith. Christ is the termination of the law. It could not provide righteousness based on merit, but Christ provides righteousness based on God's grace in response to faith. You know, I really love what it just said there. Christ is the termination of the law. It could not provide the righteousness based on merit, but Christ provides righteousness based on God's grace in response to faith. To find righteousness, which is by faith, there, there is no need to ascend to heaven or descend to the abyss, since Christ has come and been raised and offers that righteousness. That is the word proclaimed by Paul. And then we go on to Jesus as Lord. Lord of Yahweh is the Old Testament name for God. Thus he who confesses that Jesus is Lord affirms his deity. And then at 10.10, there are simultaneous actions, one inward in your heart and the other outward in your mouth. Though God's election of his people is of his own free choice and not based on human merit, the elect are not safe without believing in the message that is preached by those who are sent. That's a powerful thing there. Okay, by the word of Christ. The spoken word rather than the written word of the Bible. Our oral testimony, our preaching of, of Christ, of course, is based on the Bible. Uh, God implores Israel to turn to him, but they continue in disobedience. So that brings us to chapter 11. It's talking about features, Israel's future salvation and the extent of Israel's rejection. So it's so strange that, you know, the world is still geared everything towards the Middle East and that all this, these, uh, you know, readings that we're talking about and I'm reading to you are so much to me alive. You know, they're really uh, awesome and, you know, it's profound to me. And let's read another story. Okay, I'm going to get out of my faithful guide post and... Um, Let's see. I wonder what I'm going to to read here. I haven't picked anything out in advance as usual. Uh, okay, so this is called You Can't Quit Now. And it's by Sharon McCulloch in Philadelphia, from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Thank you, Sharon. Okay, I'm a businesswoman who believes in angels, both the biblical kind and the modern kind who sit behind us. In business, people who back beginners are often called angels. But my angels did more than back me. They rescued me from catastrophe. Two years ago, my husband, Stephen, faced me across the kitchen table. Sharon, he asked, what's going to happen to us? 
I had just hung up on my mother, crying and sick with worry. She had questioned my recent business decisions. Earlier in the day, my sister Joni had called to give me a rather forceful scolding on the top, same topic. In two and a half years, I had gone from a lifestyle that included a stable job and savings in the bank to a state of disastrous debt. I had already lost my car and was about to lose our house. I could not even pay for the telephone or electric bills. My marriage, in fact, my entire life seemed on the brink of collapse. In desperation, I asked God, what should I do? The inner voice replied, you can't quit now. I never dreamed in October 1991 when I began exploring how I might become a fashion designer that I would find myself in such a nightmare. I had been an executive for a computer business raising the to marketing manager as a Intel corporation. But I commuted three hours daily every week and worked too many weekends. I wanted to have more time to spend with my daughter and husband. I also had a long-running time-running love affair with fabrics and shapes. Growing up poor in a family of seven children, I had bought most of my clothes at thrift stores and redesigned them. Later, I learned firsthand that no one was making reasonably priced suits for successful women who were to work. The most suits were monotonous in color and design, making their wearers look like would-be men. From the beginning of my working career, I designed my own suits. Again and again, other businesswomen asked me where they could buy them. I started my quest for independence in a sensible way. I consulted experts at the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School of Business. I spent a year doing market research. I talked to women at conventions. I canvassed department stores. I soon convinced myself and Wharton that my intuition was the right. There is a hole in the market. No one was making the kind of suits that I envisioned, feminine in style without being flashy, well-made enough to wear frequently, selling around $200. So many women I interviewed liked my designs, and I had $50,000 worth of orders before I opened my doors. I quit my job, launched Essential Suits. I knew that starting a business would be hard work, and I was prepared. I got off to a good start, but then I found out that just how hard things are in the women's suit business. The field is dominated by two huge companies, and everyone else is practically invisible. Department stores hesitate to deal with small fry because the giants know how to keep up the racks full. The buyer with the retail colossus of JCPenney, for instance, liked my designs but wanted me to install a computerized order system that was well beyond my resources. I learned banks were even less interested in my startup operation. Lynn Oliver, the officer at my neighborhood bank, told me in a nice way that I had no collateral, no track record, and as far as she could see, no future. Desperate to finance production, I turned to a factor, someone who puts up the money, what you need. And in return, you pay an exorbitant interest rates, which you have to all your profits. In 1992, I sold 1,000 suits. The factor agreed to finance me for another year at the interest rate of 1% a week. I had no choice. I had to prove my business was viable. I sold 2,500 2, suits in 93, adding a, big, a few big customers such as Dayton Hudson stores. I vowed to make 1994 the year I escaped from factor. I found a venture capitalist in Pennsylvania who agreed to back the company for 
$300,000 if we sold a minimum of $250,000 in suits to a single sales season. With $150,000 in sales, I again signed a contract with the factor and began production of 3,500 suits. Just as the suits were being manufactured, my backer called to inform me he couldn't raise the working capital. The contract was in default. Fantic uh, mortgaged my house, threw in more savings, and borrowed my sister's genie's life savings. And I still fall short from competing production of 3,500 suits and filling my factoring contract. Soon I was missing mortgage payments. My mother lost faith in me. Jeannie, who had been working with me as a partner, quit. So did my other partner, my pattern maker. Wow. Even when my husband, who I had loved since girlhood, started to question my judgment. I couldn't blame him. That's what brought us to the confrontation at the kitchen table the other day. That would things ever turn around? My mother's anguish troubled me most. In the late 1960s, my father had gone broke trying to become a major player in the cable television business. The blow had wrecked their marriage and leading to a divorce and left my mother as the sole supporter of seven children. She was horrified to see her daughter headed off in a similar precipice. Somehow, by the grace of God, I finished shipping all 3,500 suits and closed the factoring contract. The next day, I sat down the Sunday paper. God, I need an angel of mercy to rescue me from despair. I need a job. I opened the paper, and the first thing I saw was an ad for a computer consultant. The woman who ran the employment agency was an angel in human form. She sat there calmly as I gave her brutally honest account of my dilemma, frequently interrupting by cascades of tears. Instead of calling me a reckless citizen, she says, Don't worry, I'll get you a job. Thanks to her and the wonderful people for whom I consulted, I was able to keep essential suits alive. We sold out our 1994 line and paid most of our debts. But where could I find the money for my 1995 line? Uh, to miss a year in the clothing business is just as bad as missing a century. We entered a nerve-wracking contest run by Pennsylvania Private Investigators Group, which studies 3,000 business plans each year and invites 30 to make presentations to potential backers. Essential Suits was one of the 30, but no one offered to put up a cent. Again, I asked God if I should quit, and I got the same tough answer. The next day, my phone rang. It was Lynn Ozer. The bank had been taken over by a bigger bank that wanted to lend money to small businesses. Lynn had heard about my TPIG uh, representation and thought she could help me get a 250000 working capital loan from the Small Business Administration. With $250,000, I could finance a new fall line for 1995 and continue business operations. We filled out the paperwork and waited five agonizing months. Then the worst news yet, because I owed the IRS $2,000 in back taxes, the loan was rejected. I could not believe it. I had worked so hard all my life, and I paid my own way through school and always let God as my friend and supporter. What are you going to tell me? Are you trying to tell me, Lord? For two days, there was no answer, and I began to spiral into despair. And then I found myself driving past the bank. Don't quit now, whispered that voice. Was God telling me to make one more effort? I leapt out of the car and charged into the lobby. This was my whole life, I shouted at Lynn. I can't take no for an answer. Before my eyes, Lynn, author, turned into another angel of mercy 
For the first time in 17 years, she called the SBA and asked them to reconsider their decision. After a few days of stony silence, they said that I would get the loan if I paid off the IRS. I begged friends and family and raised the money. When the loan came through, the bank finally threw a party to help me celebrate. Good things began to happen. Mother and father, who had barely spoken to each other in more than 10 years, volunteered to help shift these suits in the summer of 1994. I think some of their bitterness dissipated in the growing expression of love for me. For the first time, I got to know my father as a person. To help me, Steve left his job as a corporate computer software maker. He persuaded Philadelphia's Thomas Jefferson University Hospital, one of the best in the nation, to give him a job on a five-year plan to computerize all aspects of the nutritional operations. This enabled him to spend far more time at home, and it turned out to be a major step towards his career. In 1994, the essential food line sold well, and in 1995, J.C. Penney, Federated Department Stores, and other major outlets placed hefty orders for our line. We were able to deal with these big stores thanks to another angel, my friend, my friend and mentor, Richard Sykchik, who is the CEO of one of the largest makers of men's suits. He has allowed us to use his company's computerized order systems. We had a permanent showroom in New York City, and in the spring of 1995, we hired a group of models for our first fashion show. We let the models take the suits home and match them with the skirts and trousers of their own, demonstrating how much confidence we had in our clothes and the kind of flexibility a businesswoman wants. I go to New York twice a week to talk to buyers. The rest of the time, I work in Philadelphia, only 10 minutes from home, with time for my family. Although Essential Suits is far from out of the woods financially, I stopped worrying about the future. With the help of God and his angels, I know I can cope now. I want to thank everybody for listening this morning. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. And let's say together after a moment of silence that's out there the people that are still suffering. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Amen. I want to thank you and come back next week at 11 a.m. for our next Bible study. We'll be in Romans 11. And that's all for today. God bless you. God loves you. And don't forget, you're never alone. Love you. Bye-bye.